Today, we answer the alarms. So many alarms. They're all going off. They're all going off at once. And they are sounding the doom and the gloom and the danger for the comics industry. Are comic books in danger? Are they, as some have have been saying, the worst ever? Is, is, is this the worst condition that we've ever seen in the industry? And to which I answer, well, well, are they? Hey, come with me today. We're going to find out together as we dive into all the numbers. We hit the books. Most importantly, we time travel back to the year 2000 to get the truth on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. Thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our show where we talk comic books, pop culture, superheroes, the explosion across all media platforms these these last couple of decades. And, and speaking of couple of decades, we're going to land the plane squarely on the year 2000 today and make that a, a, a focal point of, of our discussion as we look backwards to look forwards and kind of examine everything that is going on right now. And, and, and the crazy thing is, is when you think of the 2000s, like that's, that's like nostalgia now. The 2000s is nostalgia. And we think of it like it was yesterday. I do. 2000 is when we started a family, had our first uh, child, had, had my oldest son, Luke. Probably the same for, for many of you, except for the guy who is raising his hand right now saying, no, that's when I graduated high school. Life felt, look, bottom line, if, if you're 40 today, right, you were, you were 18, you were 17 in, in, in 2000. Okay. You know, if you're in your fifties now, chan- chances are you were knocking on 30. I mean, that, that, that 23 years back is, 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 is crazy pants. That the, that the 2000s is so far back, but the 2000s is a great time for us to uh, to really really narrow our focus and examine all that was going on in in, in comics and some of pop culture. This isn't an era episode. It's it, it's gonna we're, we're gonna look at a lot of the stuff that was going on at the time because the the comics industry in the last couple of weeks has really been uh, plagued by 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 this this wave of negativity from certain sectors who are calling out and saying this is the worst the comic book industry has ever been this is the worst it's not it's not we're going to look at 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 for our modern times the worst of all of it and we have to go back all the way and and put a pin in in 2000 and start there and draw a string right to 2023 now here's the deal i have been doing this I say this each and every episode, so say along with me for for 38 years. Comic books has been uh, my 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 business. My 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 wife is my passion and my business. It's paid the bills. It's put the smiles on my face. Uh, I have raised a family making comic books, and and like so many of you, so, so many of my peers and all of the peers who who have who have um, come up to me at the different shows. In the last year, I'm only doing the last now two years. I'm only doing San Diego and New York, but that's you know two of the big biggest shows on both coasts. And so many of you have said that you listen to the show and 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 you enjoy some of the the, the pulling back of the curtains and talking about the way that the that the sausage is made because it you know it's it's that inside baseball part of the show and and I appreciate it because look, you see me, I see you uh, making comics. 
it, it is a process. It's hard. It's blank pages filling them up. It's filling them up as a writer. It's filling them up as an artist. It's filling them up as a colorist. It's filling them up as an anchor, as a letterer. Everybody on down uh, every aspect of this process, every different stop along the way knows what it feels like to make comics. It is my passion and it has been my business. In the, uh, my, my, I've mentioned several times that my, my, uh, Senior year, I graduated from high school, and I immediately got on a plane and went with my parents and went to uh, Illinois. I, I call it Chicago because I kept going in and out of the city for pizza, for the comic book stores. Uh, but we, 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 I was there for the better part of three and a half months. And and what kept me kind of comforted was going to the movie theater. And that summer, whether it was uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Back to the Future, uh, The Goonies, uh, no, I'm not sure if it was the Goonies. I'm, I'm, I'm going to backtrack that. <laughs> I didn't fact check that. Well, I'm going to go with my memory. The Back, back to the Future, uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Pee Wee Herman, and, and, and Teen Wolf uh, are, are just among many of the movies that I just kept returning to and seeing over and over and over again because it was a, it was a source of comfort for me. My wife says, were you getting ready to start your comic book jo- career at that time? And I'm like, babe, I was drawing pages all day long, uh, sequestered in the room at my, at my folks house. Now I was there to help facilitate my dad's recovery because he was going in for another brain surgery and my mom was working, uh, needed to work full time. My dad, because of his condition was let go because, uh, the, the, his employer, uh, did, did not want to carry the health benefits. So yeah, that was a real kick, but I was there to help my dad who, and my mom, who I obviously loved very much. And, I had comic books, I had movies, and I had blank pages to fill up with art and make comic books during that time. But it's like, uh, when my wife asked me, like, what, what were you preparing? Yes, yes, I was preparing in 1985 to get hired in 1986 to start making comic books as my living because that is, that is what I was trained and that was my, my focus and that is where all of my passion had gone into. Now, when I, when I landed... Back in Southern California, rented a room for my buddy John. Thank you, John. Thank you to you and your family. Uh, John, like like myself, his parents are gone. And his parents uh, smiled upon me, gave me the favor of opening up their house, letting me rent a room for them. But that is the period that I delivered pizzas. Uh, I, I, I work construction every single day. I work construction Monday through Saturday every single day. It was the best paying job at the time. And then I, I bust tables. Uh, and, and, and started doing more and more of that and eventually was doing all three jobs simultaneously and then pivoted away from the, del- uh, the delivering of the pizzas to doing more of the restaurant busing tables work because it actually it did, it did better. Uh, you'd be surprised. The tips at restaurants are, are better in 1985, 86 than they were, you know, delivering pizzas. Go figure. So, so my focus has been on comics since I graduated high school. This is how much I am into this. And I would be remiss. If I did not tell you that on August 30th of 2023, so just coming up in a few days from you listening to this latest episode, I have my third installment of Deadpool Batter Blood, a book that I am so excited to put in your hands, a book that really exemplifies everything that I love and am passionate about in regards to comic books. I really went big uh, on on issues three and four, and I, I, I know I'm going in the right direction because your responses to issues one and two were that you really loved the action and 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 the the largesse that, that that was brought to so many of the moments and 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 the and the scope 
and and you are going to be so entertained. I have great collaborators. Uh, J. David Ramos coloring just the, the most amazing uh, pages with his incredible palette. Chad Bowers coming in side by side with me, just just adding that incredible uh, snappy patter, banter, exposition, dialogue, just carrying the, the book just hums with Chad. He knows exactly how to capture the story that I put on page and 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 give voice to the characters and and it's just such a fun ride. And I think that the work that Chad has done and Jay has done and myself, um uh, my editors, everybody along the way, I think you're gonna really enjoy Deadpool Batter Blood three and 20 days later, Deadpool Batter Blood 4 is coming out. Again, I don't make the schedules. I don't quite understand how everything was slotted. Before I went on vacation on June 17th, my 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 lines, the line art, the pages of of Deadpool Batter Blood 4 was were were handed in. And and uh and and prior to that, like in May, Deadpool Batter Blood 3 was handed in and here you are, you're getting in August uh, 30th is Deadpool Batter Blood number three, and you're going to get Deadpool Batter Blood number four, September 20th. So please be on the lookout for those comics. And it's it's uh, appropriate that I'm bringing this up because we really are going to get into the nitty gritty of comic books, comic book sales, comic books prominence, comic books retail today. And I, I am, again, so thankful to all of you for putting us at the top of comic book uh, podcast. We are the number one comic book podcast. It, it is it is something that was pointed out to me because I am way too busy making comics, uh, uh, spending time with my family, my wife, uh, friends, but 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 mostly making comics. That is the the absolute, uh, you know, where where my time is 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 put and and what commands the most of my time. And sometimes I don't think about it when I'm just I'm, I'm doing this uh, podcast. I'm doing the comic books. And and I'm I'm checking out in, in the in between to go do something else. And it was pointed out to me we have been the number one comic Rob Observation is the number one comic book themed podcast and has been for the better part of the last six months. And that is because of you. You have powered us to this spot. You are the 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 listeners that put this show in that position. And I cannot begin to thank you enough. And I am so grateful. And 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 that is on the Apple rankings and the Spotify rankings. And we we are f- far and away uh and, and that blows me away that simply blows my mind and i it make it makes me want to work harder and 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 give you the very best show and one of the things that i have gotten so much feedback from all of you is the data and the numbers and the sharing of the data and the numbers with you and the deep dive that we do and and kind of give you a barometer for everything that's been going on in, in, in the world of comic books but but the negativity is coming from some pretty surprising places and and uh and and it, it it's growing the 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 volume of it is growing and i think there are obviously there's some reasons for it and absolutely you know where there's smoke there's fire right uh, where there's smoke there's fire and so is there some truth to some of the uh you know negative choruses about about what's going on with with comic books but you're not getting all of it when when you get some of these uh these negative complaints, even from some high profile people. And more importantly, there is a huge amount of misinformation, misinformation out there that is just not reflective of what's going on and certainly not reflective of when someone says, this is the worst the industry has ever been. That it has not, that is not on any level reflective of the truth. And we're going to dive 
right in and start shining a light on 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 where things are and where they've been and and just where are we as a comic book community with all of these incredible comic book titles and comic book uh characters and 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 just how are the comic books doing in 2023 as opposed to in i, I want to do the music the year 2000 i want to do the conan o'brien the year 2000 but i won't do it i'm not going to do it the year 2000 uh, can contrast it with 2023 let's get into it so so where exactly should we start with this latest wave of negativity let's let's uh begin with no less than and 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 this man is extremely accomplished uh if you've enjoyed his kick-ass comic book his wanted comic book uh secret service which was turned into the kingsman okay Mark Miller is one of the breakout standouts, uh, big biggest names, biggest successes in the last two decades in comic books. I, I if you know me, if you are, are my, my 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 buddy, that they, they can verify uh, in private. Uh, Robert Kirkman, Mark Miller, the two standout talents, the two biggest, most accomplished guys, not just for the TV work that adds to it for the TV and the media adaptation, but for the impact. I mean, Robert Kirkman, Invincible, Walking Dead. Uh, Mark Miller, clearly Civil War, that was, even though the comic book and the movie were nothing alike, uh, the, the comic book was just a giant, uh, huge, massive blockbuster success, probably the biggest that Marvel has done, certainly the most resonant, and uh, the, the first one, not the sequel, the first the first one was just such a big, uh, just had a big presence, brilliantly paired with artist Steve, Steve McNiven, who is... Uh, just a stellar, amazing talent. I buy everything Steve does, just like I buy everything Mark does, just like I buy everything Robert Kirkman does. So, so Mark certainly has you know more than enough skin in the game here. He was uh, was he on a podcast? He, he was on an appearance on the Thinking Critical channel, and he confirmed uh, that he is intending to come back to come back to DC where he first launched and do a Superman story. And he says there's something really uh, so. So in the context of telling people that he's going to come back and, and and do some mainstream work over at DC, he says there's there's something really going on. There's something weird going on right now where I feel like the guys, like guys like me and guys who've worked in the industry for a while and have been very lucky, had a lot of books and everything, and we've got to get back and man the stations. I think everyone's got to come in and do a couple of projects and find artists who who's this. Find an artist who's as good as you <laughs> can possibly get and just do a killer run on something, he said. He says he believes these comic book legends should all return because the industry is in the worst state it's ever been. There it is. He said retailers are struggling. They're dying. All my friends and retailers, retailers are saying it's never been like this. It's never been as hard as it's been now. He then went and elaborated on, on, on the things that he w- would like to do and and whether it's him and Koipel and Laraz uh, doing doing a Captain America or a Wolverine run, so he uh, he says in the last ten years there hasn't been really any big creator owned success, any big any big uh, breakout, and uh, and he says you know the truth of creator-owned growth comes from Marvel and DC doing well. We need Marvel and DC to do well. He said, and then he ends and says, obviously there's some great books out there. Of course, there's two or three good books, but we need 20 good books at DC right now. There needs to be 20 good books. Uh, He says, you can go back and look at these other periods in history. Look at the 90s, look at the 80s, look at the 60s. 
There were so many books that I couldn't afford to buy. And, and many books I really wanted to buy. And no one's in that position anymore. Everyone's like, yeah, there's two or three books that you should check out. So uh, again, I, I, he, again, Mark, Mark said this on the, uh, on a, a, a show. He said this on a, he made these comments on thinking critical, the thinking critical channel. So, so that is recorded. He, and of course that then got passed everywhere. A couple days ago, boom, 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 link, link, link everywhere. I could go. Mark made this statement. Now, while Mark has some points to be made, some of what he's saying is historically inaccurate. Uh, this is not on any way, in any way, shape, or form, the worst it's ever been. And you and you can you can uh, back that up with with numbers and data. Okay, I cannot stand this age that we're in in sports, all sports, which is all statistics, statistics, and and uh, and and personal performance in your stats, your stats, your stats. To this day, the most exciting period of my entire life in sports is the 80s where it was Magic versus Larry Bird. They are putting this in a dramatic format on on Max, HBO. Now it's just called Max, but winning time, which I'm sure is hard because people are like, well, I, I hate the Lakers. Why is there a show about the Lakers? But the stuff with the Celtics and the guy that they have playing Larry Bird and, 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 and the, the, the portrayal of Red Arbach, uh, th- th- this is fantastic. But these two guys... Uh, accounted for X amount of finals. I mean, seven rings. Uh, it, it, this was an incredible, in a decade, in 10 years. I mean, Magic got five. Magic got five. The Celtics were there. The Celtics were there slugging it out. Often, you had to get by them, had to get past them. The, the, this is a time where it was like, did you win a championship or didn't you? And nowadays it's all about well, perform, you know, the, the triple double, the 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 per the the rebounds, the 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 per, you know your performance per minutes per seconds, standing in this corner spot under the basket. It's it's been so overanalyzed. But the truth of the matter is, when it comes to comic books, it's just look look at those sales, okay? Look at those sales. And let me tell you something. It was once again the year two thousand. I'm going to take you there in a second. Going to get 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 get. Go back just a little on the way back there, but the year two thousand was the time that I thought, "Wow!" Again, I'm, I'm, I'm. My comics are being published. My work is being published. I, I was shocked as far back as nineteen eighty six because I was doing work for a company called Megaton Comics. But my, my comic book, my mainstream comic book work with DC and Marvel starts getting published in nineteen eighty seven. That seems like forever ago because, quite frankly, it is. <laughs> it is. It is a long time ago. Uh, and O to be, uh, you know, a teenager uh, again, and 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 be producing work. And uh, remember, I graduated my senior year. I am seventeen years old, so I, I I got a really early jump on doing all of this. And so, nineteen eighty seven is where the Marvel and DC work start rolling. And I'm in the industry. I'm a young young professional. I'm I'm a rookie. I'm I'm on a you know basically a rookie deal. If you want to make it about sports, and I'm just wide eyed, and I'm just absorbing everything and, and 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 checking it against you know my 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 fan perspective that I had not wanting to ever lose that and and I'm going to tell you you know my, my instincts are what have served me the best and why I have a 38 year career in climbing it is my instincts first foremost above all else and when I look back 
and see what was coming. Because you could see it coming in the 90s. You could see the excitement swelling. You could see the amount of people expanding. And so much of, look, the, the, the audience was getting younger because the creators were getting younger. And I remember people complaining in the early 90s, 91, 92, right at the dawn of the image era, this, that, that, that summer where X-Men and X-Force combined, combined to sell 13 million units from Marvel Comics in those two launches. And then that's not even, that's not, again, I love to bring up X-Force number two, which sold 1.6 million copies. X-Force number two is a seven-figure banger, okay? Uh, but, but, yeah, that, that's what you get when you're, when you're drafting off sales of over 5 million copies. You could see it coming. We've tracked DC Got It Going with Legends of the Dark Knight and their multicolored, you know, uh, uh, cardstock covers that had no art, just a logo. And that gave, you know, that, 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 that's all it took for Marvel to get that twinkle in their eye. Boom, Spider-Man is the next summer. The next summer, X-Men, X-Force. The next summer, it's the Image Comics explosion. And, and, and we are off to the races. And you can see it, and we've covered in recent episodes how this is a retailer base of 11,000 retailers at the time. That is how many recorded retailers. I read you all that info uh, maybe an episode, two episodes back between the two distributors at the time, the two primary distributors. And there was other lesser distributors. When, when Marvel becomes its own distributor for a brief time in the late 90s, and it is, what the, it, it is uh, one of the reasons Heroes Reborn even happened is because they wanted a product. They wanted a bunch of product that they could say, you cannot afford to not uh, go with our new distribution network. Marvel's distribution network was they bought the third largest distributor called Heroes World out of New Jersey. So you had had three distributors, the two big boys slugging it out like Marvel and DC on the distribution level was Diamond and Capital. Okay, Diamond and Capital. You were buying your your, your, your comics from one, from the other, or in some cases both. But a 11,000 retailers of which they determined over 6,000 were brick and mortar stores, which had meant there was a lot of mail order and a lot of secondary market accounts getting cleared to, to, to order comics. But Diamond and Capital are there to, to sell comics. So if you had the credit and you could open an account, they gave it to you, period, full stop. And we, we've uh, looked at the conditions that so much of the unknown, so much, so much of the ordering that was going on was was they didn't really know what they were ordering new companies were flying flying you know uh, uh, uh popping up right and left and they were very confused as how to order this company or the labels within the companies malibu had ultraverse and bravura uh dark horse had their dark horse line and legend okay so so there was a lot of just stuff going coming at the retailers so fast and 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 some of them got burned uh by overordering and 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 i was there i was there when i was like things are going to turn and and i've i famously mentioned a chain called comics unlimited and uh there there was three or four of these stores and 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 i'll even tell you one of them was called comics unlimited in the area and it was not associated with the guy that had the chain so there's like four comics unlimited stores out uh, stores out here and I remember walking in and seeing large stacks of of pretty much every single comic book, every DC, every Marvel, and then these enormous stacks of independent uh, comic books, which were kind of tri- not, not tried and true, not tested. And when I mean not tested, they didn't have a reliable name. There's an interview. I haven't parsed it completely yet to bring it to you guys, but it's from 1994. 
and among the people, it's, it's an interview I've never shared with you guys, uh, with Todd McFarlane and Frank Miller. It's, it's, it's back to back. It's another uh, really incredible set of interviews with all the different sound bites that, that I'm, I'm going to be able to share. Uh, but, but they ask Todd McFarlane in regards to Spawn. They say, are you selling Spawn? Or are you selling Todd McFarlane? I've covered this with you guys before. Image Comics was launched on the back of the creators, period. You did not know what a Youngblood was. There was no sales history and no familiarity with a Youngblood. But a million copies moved of Youngblood because you were excited about the host of this show, Rob Liefeld. Jim Lee had no pre- previous you know, uh, history with Wildcats. It came out of his head and onto the page, and you bought Jim Lee's Wildcats because you were digging Jim Lee. So, so again, the, the Eric Larson... You were buying now, and now, ironically, of course, I picked picked the subject that Dragon had appeared in early issues of Megaton, so, so that character did have a have a small bit of history. But Jim Valentino was super hot on Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy, so so when he offered you Shadowhawk, you just took the leap. A lot of companies didn't have the creator loyalty or the character loyalty or or any track record whatsoever, but their books were getting ordered. And it eventually all piled up and it called it caused this collapse. And then we headed towards what I call the dark days, which was, I'd say, from summer 99 to summer 2001. And I just remember going summer San Diego Comic-Con 1999 was the big party in the industry. New York Comic-Con was no, no not on the map. It was not the show that it was uh, that it has become in this last uh over the course of almost 20 years. Not, we're not quite there yet, but maybe are we at, if it's 2005, I mean, we're, you know, we're looking at 17, 18 years that New York Comic Con has been an absolute monster from the fir- very first year. I did not go to the very first year of New York Comic Con, but the fire marshal set, uh, shut it down. And the minute the fire marshal shuts you down, that travels over across all, you know, texts, phone calls uh, at the time that the message boards, Facebook, and boom oh my gosh i've got to be there next year what kind of show is so packed elbow to elbow that, that the fire marshal shut them down boom they rocketed that since that time uh n- n- word of mouth swelled was i was i in new york comic-con year two you bet your britches i was there i had to be part of the action now new york had a show that was bustling that was booming but san diego was that show and really it stood alone the closest that anyone was knocking on san diego's door in the 80s and 90s was the Wizard World show. Uh, I'm sorry, it was Chicago Comic Con. Wizard bought it and then called it Wizard World Chicago. It is now owned by Fan Expo. It is uh, nowhere near the show that it used to be in its heyday. Image Comics, we had a tent, an outdoor tent, like a circus tent, because they could not contain us on the in- interior of the show. They wanted to uh, make sure that they could get all of us. They did get all of us, except for Jim Lee, who whose wife was having a baby. Totally understand. I would not have gone either given given the conditions uh you don't want to travel you don't want to be away from your family but six of us were able to show up and put on a big show and that was in chicago and i had been going to the chicago comic-con since i visited chicago in 1985 since that that summer that was one of the perks oh my gosh i'm gonna finally get to go to another show that i see advertised in the comic books that isn't san diego and i'd already been going to san diego since 1981 so so wow now i'm gonna now i'm gonna experience the other show so i i, I kid you not uh, 1985 Chicago was the second biggest show going on in the comic book industry because I could judge that and juxtapose it against all my experiences in, in going to San Diego. And in 1999, San Diego Comic-Con, 
it was bustling. There was energy. There was excitement. That that there was there there was still uh, energy about what was coming. Maybe we could turn this around. Exciting titles. Art was selling. Comics was was selling. The merchandise was just starting to take 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 uh take flight. And one year later, in the year two thousand. I remember that is where things were completely and totally morose. And just so you know, what was I doing in the year 2000? I was drawing Marvel's second best-selling title, uh, Wolverine. I was doing Wolverine for Marvel July, August, September, October, as as things were beginning to change at Marvel Comics. The uh, Wolverine issues that have spiked in the last several months with the announcement of Deadpool 3 and the return of Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. The, the Wolverine 154, 155, where I put uh, Wolverine and Deadpool, pitted them opposite each other, introducing some of this new, new, uh, new, new concepts and a mutant church and a bunch of new characters, which again is, is kind of what I do when I, when I fly in for a storyline or for a brief run. The, those books came out and it was, uh, I was called by Bob Harris, who was the editor-in-chief at the time, and he said, Rob, we are lo- losing Steve Scross, Steve Scrossy, I know he 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 worked for me and did Youngblood, and he's fantabulous. And and it's been many years since I've said the name, so I don't want to say it wrong. But uh, so it's either Steve Scross, Scroach, Scrossy. Excuse me. Uh, apologies, Steve. You're you're fantastic. Your work is amazing. He had done uh, Wolverine, I think 150, 151, 152, 153, and they were already losing him because Matrix Two was gearing up, and he was going back because he was one of the storyboard artists working alongside Jeff Darrow that brought you the incredible visuals and, and the, the, the just outstanding uh, storyboard and, and design and concept art uh, for, for the original Matrix. So they were getting the band back together and he was leaving. I was on the 110 freeway with my car phone. You remember those car phones? When I got the call from Bob Harrison said, Rob, could you do this? And, and uh, I was like more than happy to. We, we uh, especially by, by August, as as I'm doing, uh, as I'm as I'm finishing up issue 155, and I'm writing 156 and 157, which I handed off to Ian Churchill to illustrate and has Spider-Man in it. Uh, when when I was doing issue 155, we are in our very first what you will call you uh, what what they call the Lamaze class because we are now uh, I f- fully aware that we are you know in pregnancy mode and 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 uh, in 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 99 and and we are going to have a baby you know, uh, 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 next spring. So I, I am literally drawing and doing layouts, uh, while we are listening to the speaker, of course, not when we are doing the, the, the physical exercises back and forth, you know, you guys all understand how this was done or how it was done. Again, this is the year that this is 1999, <laughs> 99 and 2000. I, I am, I am getting the call, you know, to do this stuff, uh, uh b- b- because Steve Scross is leaving. And, and they they want me to pinch hit, and so for for the spring and summer of 2000, I am going to produce these books. And again, I, so I have memories of of again how they were doing it 23 years ago in the year 2000. How 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 you know young couple pregnancy classes or what young parent young parent uh, pregnancy classes how how they went down. And for those first you know 45 minutes where they're showing you slides, uh, I I had my. Uh, I had my sketchbook and I was laying out the next pages for 155, 156, and, and on. So this is very fresh in my memory. Uh, 154 came out at the Chicago show 
uh, Wizard World Chicago of 2000. Again, great energy, bustling. X-Men was in theaters, exciting people, showing people what was possible with a big, giant Marvel comic book, a team concept. I'm going to stop right here again and remind you all because this myth will not. I'm just going to continue to meet this myth. In 1998, we just celebrated the anniversary, the first Blade movie. Fantastic. The movie's great. The movie is A+++++. Wesley Snipes killed as Blade, literally killed as Blade. Uh, Just the entire movie is fantastic, but it was in an era of vampire movies, first and foremost. That's how it was marketed. It was a Wesley Snipes action vehicle first. It was a vampire movie slash horror film second. It was a comic book film maybe third, okay? It was not marketed as, come see your breakout Marvel Comics character. Marvel Comics didn't even have a Blade comic book when this was optioned and made. Obviously, Wesley Snipes had been trying to get characters with representation that he could play. Black Panther was the one that he really wanted to do. It didn't get off the ground. He pivoted towards the Tomb of Dracula books, which had the most excellent representation of Blade as a, as a secondary character, uh, focused on it, made an incredible first movie from it, and it was off to the races. But no one coming out of the theaters and no one the following week that, that read the trades or the Entertainment Weekly or the People Magazine or whoever was reporting on the box office, no one can, can tell you, no one that was there will testify to the fact that it did something for comic book movies. Nothing, period, zero. It was a Wesley Snipes vehicle, a horror vampire title, and and maybe it, because it had a Marvel logo, it's something to do with comics. Is this a comic book? Okay, um, it 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 was really good, and that matters because obviously the Blade franchise made two more two more films off of it, but it did not suddenly crack open the vault for all the studios to take off their comic book take out their comic book properties, dust them off, and get them made. That did not happen. X Men was the big roll of the dice, a team concept. Nothing like that had been done at that scale. And don't give me don't give me your mystery men comedy movie, okay? Do not bring that to this argument. No, that is a parody. That is a comedy. Uh, everyone knew that the X Men was a number one cartoon through the '90s. Was the bestseller for Marvel Comics. And we're going to hit this X Men note because this is going to come back. This is our this is our this is our pace horse that we're going to we're going to base a lot of these sales and this performance around. So so you had X Men being a big giant team concept. Lots of special effects. Lots of moving pieces, and it worked. It was number one. It made a ton of money for the time, especially given the restrained budget that they had to work with. Wolverine is coming out. I am working at Marvel. I am I am part of, uh, it is Marvel's number two best-selling comic book for the summer of 2000. And uh, again, I was able to pinch hit and give you these books. And suddenly, again, side note, caveat, uh, 154 and 155. Again, I, I don't steer you wrong, but those are the books you want to have. They're only going to increase in value. Uh, they've already bumped since the announcement last October. Just sidebar, uh, I decided I didn't have enough, and I started buying them. And they've gone from forty dollars books to sixty dollars books to seventy dollars books. And and if you think that's going to stop, you're nuts. It's 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 along the lines of a post that I read on Facebook the other day that I was like, wow. I have passed up a couple really affordable opportunities to get Hulk one eighty one, the first appearance of of Wolverine, and somebody just said like pie in the face, so obvious. Said the other day. Eventually, we are going to see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine battle Hulk on screen, a version of the Hulk. And at that point, everyone and their mother is going to want a legit first printing of Hulk 181, and those prices are going to go crazy. So I am sharing this with you and now increasing the competitive nature uh, that, that for myself of, of, of what it's like to get a Hulk 181. I was shopping on the, on the uh, 
the, the, the San Diego Comic-Con floor to try and find a really nice uh, minty, tony copy of uh, Hulk 181. And, and those prices are staggering. Fall back, kind of collect yourself when you hear the numbers. So, so that, that is only going to increase. And by the same measure, Wolverine 154, 155, these books that I did in the 2000s are only going up because of the subject matter and the action scenes that they've been showing, that they've been filming on that leaked footage reflect very much the, the stuff that I was doing in those books. So, so put those on your radar and, and make sure you can get them while they're still affordable. But that is the book. So I, I have skin in the game. I am doing comic books in the year 2000, in summer 2000. At that point, there's just the energy. I, in Chicago and San Diego, uh, creators were lost. Uh, opportunities seemed fewer. Studio uh, uh, comic book labels and companies were cutting back. And, you know, this is uh, what was being pushed. I had a booth. I had a booth, a two, 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 you know, two booth setup at San Diego in 2000. Uh, I remember looking over at the guys who were doing uh, Battle Chasers, the guys who were doing Soul Saga. That was the the stuff that was that was 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 uh, buzzy over at Image Comics, you know. But but the lines were smaller. The attendance was down. I I could absolutely tell you that on the floor. And Hall H isn't a thing yet. Hall H doesn't become a thing until Arnold Schwarzenegger and Angelina J- Jolie drop in to promote. Uh, I believe it's End of Days or no no Terminator Terminator Three Terminator Three and Tomb Raider. Uh, that that is when. Star Power hit Hall H. I've covered that in a previous episode, but that's when I'm like, wait, why are Hollywood agents and managers that I know at San Diego, and they haven't been here in, a, in 10 years, my own agents wouldn't come down to San Diego from the biggest agency in Hollywood, but now they're here. And I'm like, what are you, oh, because Arnold you know, is here uh, promoting, and, and Angelina Jolie is here promoting, and you're like, what? And that is when we were off to the races. It's either 2002, it's either two, it's 2002, 2003, one of those, one of those, uh, San Diego's is where suddenly we the transformation of San Diego can absolutely be charted into what it has become today. So the 2000s in 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 San Diego, just trust me, the energy, the opportunities, the parties, everyone was lost. Everyone was a little uh, little concerned. In the course of one year, the upbeat, just really uh, uh, excited vibes. Like the end of the 90s, it's like, it's like 1999 threw itself a party celebrating what had come before, but 2000 was a precursor to, to some of the troubles. Now, back that up with numbers. I'm gonna. Because, so, so in, 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 by, 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 by giving you directly the sales of, uh, <clears throat> of comic books in, in 2000, you get a really good, you get a really good sense of uh of what was working what was what what was not and maybe you know what what we were looking at given given uh the boom that had happened in the 90s and the fallout that was happening with these stores closing and you know what when stores close and you shut off opportunities for people to get their comics that creates discouragement and if you go like i told you we are on record we are on record right now as having around 2,200 accounts from 11,000 at our peak. 48 million copies was the peak of the comic book business through, through the distribution networks in April 
okay, in April of 1993. That is the apex. And from there, things, so, so that's what it built towards. And from then, it started following, falling. And, and literally, it started falling apart. 11,000 retail outlets, okay? Uh, 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 11,000 retail accounts. 6,000 brick and mortar outlets. So, for instance, in July, the X-Men comic book is selling 113,000 copies in July of 2000. Wolverine is selling 85,000 copies. The Justice League, DC's top-selling book, is selling 75,000 copies. The Avengers is selling 74,000 copies. So, so that gives you a really good barometer of what is going on in, 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 the, uh, in, in the world. Now, I haven't come to Batman yet. Let me keep going. Let me get, get to our buddy Batman. Batman, the monthly Batman book was selling 48,000 copies. Detective Comics was selling 47,000 copies. This is July 2000. I, I am reading this off the rankings and the sales provided via, uh, via, via Diamond's top list for that month and for that year, for 2000, okay? And and this is where I am giving this to you. X-Men, 113,000. Wolverine, 85,000. Justice League, 75,000. Avengers, 74,000. And down, uh, let's just throw in at number 11, Fantastic Four, 57,000. Spider-Man, this is another great one. The number 14 book at 51,000. So these are numbers that you would think is kind of bleak. A guy came on my uh, my my Rob Liefeld Facebook group. I have I have a, I have a Facebook group on uh, I have a Rob Liefeld Facebook group. It's called Rob Liefeld Marvel Extreme and Beyond. We have all sorts of great conversations, interactions, back and forth, and sometimes it's to correct uh, poor poor kind of data. And 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 part of this, uh, there was a topic maybe two weeks ago. Someone said, "Hey, why is Rob always so positive on the comic industry on his Rob Observation podcast?" Because everyone I, everyone I talk to is the sky is falling, things are selling terrible. And and why is Rob so upbeat when so many of my other sources and he cites YouTube videos that he watched? And this opened up a really great back and forth debate and everyone kind of sharing, well, why are things the way they, they are? Could they be better? And one guy came in, God bless him, nice guy, but he said, you know, as I understand it, the top selling book right now in 2023 is 50,000 copies. No, that is not true. I am reading you the sales from the year 2000, <laughs> the year 2000. I can't do it. I can't do it. I want to do it. I want to do it so bad. But, uh, you know, again, Batman is, Spider-Man is selling 51,000. We had to go way down here. Uh, the number one selling Batman book is Dark Victory by Jeff Loeb and Joseph, uh, Joseph Loeb the third. You know him as Jeff Loeb, J-E-P-H, and Tim Sale, and that sold 50,000 copies. Batman Dark Victory. Batman sold 48,000. Batman issue 581, July 2000, 48,512. Okay. So Detective Comics, 748, number 748, issue 748, sold 47,702 copies. So there, there is a snapshot. But do you think this is the bottom? Do you think things can get worse? Oh, they can get worse. Well, I'm taking you to worse. I'm taking you to worse, people. We are, so when, when Mark Millar says it's the worst it's ever been. So let me stop you right there. I sold 100,000 copies of Deadpool Batter Blood. And Deadpool is not a top seller for Marvel, the regular Deadpool book. Deadpool Batter Blood, 
uh, sold out. We had to go back to press. And 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 just side sidebar, why are you always having to go back to press on my books, retailers? Why did Snake Eyes Dead Game have to go back to press? Why did Major X every single issue, Major X one, two, three, four, five, six, and zero went? These books had to go back to press. They had to go back to press because you didn't have enough for 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 the fans on your shelves. Deadpool Batter Blood, boom, gone. Snake Eyes Dead Game for IDW, gone. Had to go back to press. Maybe, maybe carry a few more. Maybe carry a few more. Uh, so, so here's, and if I'm telling you that, I can tell you with certainty, Spider-Man, the Spider-Man book in 2023, Marvel's Spider-Man book has top sales of 200,000. So look at what I just told you. The X-Men was selling 113,000. Wolverine was selling 85,000. How do I know? I wrote it and I drew it. Okay, that, that is the year 2000, but things are about to get worse. And this is when even my eyebrow raised. I can tell you about how depressed the energy was in 2000, in July 2000. I can tell you how kind of the opportunities were closing, page rates were down, people were worried. There was talk about, can these numbers go lower? And the answer was, absolutely, they can. <laughs> absolutely, these numbers can go lower. 2001 showed up to tell 2000, hold my beer. Uh, I am going to show you how low things can go. Uncanny X-Men issue 390. Marvel's top selling book in the uh in in uh January 2001. Again, these uh numbers are compiled from Diamond's top 300 of the year of the month uh that they, they, they would publish these numbers. Uncanny X-Men number 390 sold 98,000 copies. 98,000 copies. The X-Men had lost what looks like 15, almost 16,000 sales from July to January. And this is when I'm like, wow, there is not a book that's doing 100,000 copies. You know who loved this? The aforementioned uh, wizard people. Those those wizard people. And, and, and oh, I just would love for you to listen to my wizard episodes when I talk about um, about the history of the wizard, uh, you know, uh, who, who, who smashed against the rocks, collapsed that entire model. Uh, was devastated, and they've been in the rearview mirror for, what is it, 12, 13, 14, 15 years now? But at, at, at this point, everyone from the Wizard Magazine would tell you, we're the top-selling item in comic books. We're selling over 100,000. Nothing in, nothing from Marvel, DC, no publishers are selling over 100,000. We are. We're the top-selling. Uh, I'm glad you guys dined out on that um, and, and more happy that that entire movement is gone. So, uh, and, and, and if I can get back to the grifters that are among us now, uh, and, and mention the stuff that you should be aware, be aware of at the end of the show, I'm going to do that. Uncanny X-Men number 390, 98,000 copies. Ultimate X-Men, Marvel's answer. The new, uh, Bill Jemis vision was number two was selling 89,000. Wolverine is now the fourth best-selling book, not the second best-selling book. For, for Marvel, it is selling uh, from July to to January, 74,000 copies. We have lost 11,000 copies of sales, 11,000 sales on Wolverine. The Avengers has ticked up. The Avengers has actually picked up 13,000, it looks, something like, like that. It's at 67,599 copies. Fantastic Four is at 51, and I'm, I'm still searching for Batman, still searching for Batman. Batman is at 40. 7,000. Batman issue 587 is at 47,000. 
and uh, Detective Comics is at 44,000. Amazing Spider-Man is at the number 17 book. It is 49,000 copies. This is bad. This This was the panic. Okay, of the last 22 years. This isn't today. Comics aren't doing what they were doing in 2001 because 2001 was terrifying. These numbers are terrifying. And and, and these, of course, you're going to look at your pace pace cars. You're going to look at your pace cars to see what is possible at any given time. And of course, you're going to dream of ways to outdo them. Now, 2001 was seen as the bottoming of the sales. Things were getting better. The companies were learning coming out of the crash of the 90s how to better service the retailer. And the retailer was learning to be more conservative and to trust in the, in the product again. The, the product had to be maybe better than it was before. And some of these companies had to find new voices. And what you've got, I mean, given what I just told you, and, 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 and this is when they'd be like, that movie bump doesn't exist. And for forever, it did not. That movie bump was harder to come by back then because the X-Men was number one and had been out on DVD by the time these January numbers come out. But uh, I remember the concern at the time with management. Bill Jemis took me out to breakfast at Wizard World Chicago 2000 and told me that they wished they had comic books that were more reflective of the X-Men movie because they don't think they had an entry-level book at the time to reflect what everyone was digging and was jamming on in regards to the film that had done so well that summer. And we've talked about it here before, how the movie was the perfect conduit. Wolverine, very relatable. And, and, and I discussed this on the um, the Fall of X podcast just a few weeks ago as, as Marvel is clearly pivoting out of this era that they've been in. Um, slightly because in my opinion, in my sole opinion, I think uh, they need to get back to a more relatable concept in regards to the X-Men because the X-Men was always about rejection and fear and insecurity and overcoming it. And now they're guards in the garden. They're, they're, they're gods, excuse me, guards. <laughs> they're gods in the in the gardens of Krakoa, which is a concept, but it is not the concept that the X-Men were born on. And the movie reflected the mission statement. And Wolverine was our audience surrogate. We saw the school through his eyes. We saw, wow. And I've told you, I think the school and the school uh, dynamic was best put forth on film. Just like Iron Man's armor was best put forth on film. His armor never looked better than it did. It came like it came out of the Apple store than that 2008 debut uh, movie by Favreau, Downey, everybody, Downey Jr. Uh, the X-Men film really was a fresh re-examination of the X-Men concept through our, you know, obviously audience surrogate, the most popular X-Men Wolverine as he comes to discover Professor X, Scott, Gene, the whole struggle, the battle, and, and basically enlist himself in the battle. It was a very relatable concept. And none of the comics at the time were relating that whatsoever. They, 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 they were in the middle of all this, you know, crazy continuity. So, so, so it took a while for them to reboot. Even with the Ultimate X-Men, you could see the Ultimate X-Men numbers were far behind the regular X-Men book. So they were trying to find their footing, but, but through all the different initiatives and one of the things that the new management did that Bill Jimmis did as, as, as publisher of Marvel Comics, he instituted a plan that said, we're not going back to press. We're not going to keep the gates open. So you're going to have to get your orders uh, more accurate. And to be honest, it was probably the tough love at the right time for the industry. We're not just going to have the floodgates open at the printer and, and have an overage of five, six, ten thousand 10,000 copies of Spider-Man that you can access. Uh, and, and what happened is 
people were running out. And we're going to get back to that because that's happening again right now. That is happening again in 2023. The selling out of product is happening. But we are not at the numbers of 2001. So take that. Uh, we are in the worst ever and, and re-examine because that is, that is not uh, reflective of what's going on in the market right now. If Spider-Man has, has hit two, 200,000 uh, units as it has in 2023, and, and if Deadpool Batterblood is, is selling 100,000 copies, you know, selling out, uh, going back to press with, it, with, with its launch in June, then I can tell you right now, we are not at 2001 numbers. And, and there are books launching from Image Comics. I know James Tinian, uh, James IV on social media, his new book, uh, which, which launched this last summer, did, did in six figures, 100,000 plus. Um, we are not at the worst we've ever been by any margin. Now, is there a lot of product? And I brought it up last time about the NFL uh, expansions and even the NBA expansions. When you expand, you drain something from every team in order to create this new expansion project, which is gonna which is gonna suffer. They're gonna open it in some new hub. You know, again, the the the, the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, formerly the the Hornets. I remember when they expanded. And, and the Memphis Grizzlies were the Vancouver Grizzlies. Expansion teams take time. Uh, and they pull players from each of the existing clubs. Then you have to go deeper into possibly weaker drafts. And what results is weaker product. Going back to Magic and Larry. Think of those Detroit Piston fans if you're a basketball fan. Think of those Detroit Piston teams. Excuse me. Those Detroit Piston teams. Those Knicks teams. Think of beyond the Lakers. Think of the Rockets. Think of the, the Boston Celtics. I mean, good God almighty, the Lakers, Magic, James Worthy, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Cooper, Byron Scott. They were a freaking all-star team, uh, and they were just good. They were an all-star team because they were so good, but this is just good drafting, uh, great trades, great positioning. The Celtics, I mean, come on. I mean, McHale, Bird, Parrish. I mean, these the Celtics were an all-star team. They were a freaking all. They, when they came on the floor, you're like, they, they are deep. This this team is deep. These every starter is a baller. Detroit. I mean, come on, Lambeer, uh, 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 Isaiah Thomas. Uh, I mean, the, the, the Detroit Pistons team, Rodman. That that team, that entire team was formidable. The Rockets, Kenny the Jet, Hakeem Olajuwon. I mean, you you guys, these teams in the 80s were incredible because the product wasn't lessened. We started lessening expansion, 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 add four or five teams in any major league sport and you're going to weaken the product. So maybe in comic books, we have too much. Maybe there's too much. Maybe not everybody and their mother deserves a comic book. And and you, the retailer, and you, the fan, are deciding this by not purchasing them as much as you are purchasing some of the stuff that you like. So perhaps... There is a lessening of the material, perhaps. I am not here to say either if there if there is or there isn't, but maybe, maybe when I go down to the comic store and I and I am there for 30 minutes checking out new books and there are still 30 more books that came on the shelves, the retailer is being asked to carry a lot. But I'm gonna get to that in a minute in regards to what's happening and why I think even what what is being perceived as a rough time, it is absolutely a rough time. It's a time of uncertainty and Certainly, I opened up a bunch of these comic books recently, and what I have noticed flat out here here's what I've noticed, and what people are are are, are 
they believe that the art in the comics is not as exciting as it once was. Here's what I know. The, there is virtually no rendering going on in comics. Rendering is like the running back of, of, of comic books. I'm going to borrow a, a theme this last summer of, from the NFL and the last couple of years. In a league that increasingly is relying on the passing game and the speed with which your quarterback gets that ball out and, and hits that receiver. And how fast can you get the ball up and down the field? And look, we're, we're working with a bunch of offensive geniuses. Certainly the NFC West is, is full of them with, with, uh, with Shanahan on the Niners, Niners with, with McVay. Um, you've got all these crazy, great offensive minds who want to play with how fast their quarterbacks move the pocket, get out there, be mobile. That helps. Okay. The promise of, of Kyler Murray in Arizona had everyone so excited because it was, you know, Again, the acceleration of the of the passing game, but but the Walter Payton position, the Jerome Bettis position uh, from from the Rams and the Steelers, uh, you know the 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 absolute uh, dominant of the running back position, the pound pound pound, uh, that is lessening, and you're seeing running backs uh, get paid less. Of course, Emmitt Smith. Yes, I mean so many different standout names when I was growing up. But the running game has been diminished because they are obsessed with passing, passing, passing. Is is the passing game always going to open up more if you have a great running back? But that money for those great running backs has been, uh, uh, you know, rerouted to breakout receivers as well as the monster amounts uh, that these NFL players are getting paid. Look, in the NBA, they listed the top five players for this last year. And, and there's Steph Curry, there's LeBron, there's there's Joel Embiid, and I'm telling you these 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 salaries are 52 million dollars a year, 47 million dollars a year. I know the NFL doesn't pay that well. The NBA they get, but we should never feel bad for these people. Just just side note, they're making enormous sums in one season. I mean, God bless. That's what their talents, uh, but that's where their talents got them in a business that is you know ruled by ratings and now streaming and 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 and. Uh, and endorsements, completely different game. The money is crazy. But in the NFL, the running backs are being very vocal this summer uh, about how diminished they feel. Indianapolis has a big problem on their hands, okay? And, 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 and you know, by choosing not to go big on some of these running back contracts, they're creating a vibe of, hey, you know, the running back position, running the ball is no longer as important. What does that have to do with rendering? Rendering was everything. Since I've been in comic books, Neil Adams, Joe Kubert, Barry Windsor Smith, what you got excited about was the lines, the way that they move those lines on the page, the way that that cross-hatching was so damn smooth and intricate. And, and then you had, I'm telling you, the guy that re- revolutionized rendering for the image age was Wills Pertasio. I've talked to you guys before. Do not think for one minute that it was not Wills. Wills created this. I've, I've, ta- I've talked to you in early seasons and some of you are like, oh, that's what that was called. The fade. I did it just the other day. I'm still doing the fade when a grouping of horizontal lines is clumped together on a shoulder or a bicep, uh, or maybe the, across the stomach muscles, a shadow under the nose, and and they're tight, 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 and then they then the spacing gets further and further, and it, you know, then then there's a lot of open space between the lines, but it starts off really tight. The fade. Will did it all over his work on X Factor. He did it on Punisher. He was the guy to introduce it. And then the rest of us, myself, Jim Lee, we all jumped on this. And the anchors had to learn how to make the fade. And then they, then, then all of the different really intricate crosshatching that you saw in 91 on is a byproduct of what 
Barry Windsor Smith did with Weapon X. Um, you know, Barry Windsor Smith has every right to be uh, 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 express his opinions and be as foul about it as he possibly wants, as he was in his '90s interview uh, in the Comics Journal that I did a, a s- several episodes on. That they're in the they're in the library. Go back, Barry Windsor Smith. Uh, he's hysterical how he goes after everybody, but you know what? He he deserve, he deserves uh, his platform. He can be as sour as he wants because the work is stellar. It it moved mountains. Everyone was like, "What is going on here? How many?" lines can you make work on top of other lines and turn them left and right and center and and barry windsor smith created the modern what 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 became the 90s cross-hatching style which was in pretty much every single damn book all the inkers that we trained that helped train under 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 the direction of someone like an art to bear who came in and you got danny mickey and you got john samal and marlo alkaiza and jaime mendoza and norm ratman and and larry stucker uh, I, I know I'm, I'm missing a, a bunch over over at uh, at Wildstorm. You had you had uh, obviously Scott Williams. You had Trevor Scott. You you had uh, at, at 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 Top Cow. You had Bat. Uh, you had you had Detron. All of these guys. What they had to do first and foremost was master this certain type of rendering. And what I saw the rendering is the candy. Rendering is the the it's 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 kind of the. The thing that made people pop and made just amazed people because it's it's part of the craft. I went to the comic store this last week and I took pictures because I t- I can talk about it with my wife and my kids, but I I, I can then show them. And some of the books that I had no intention of buying. And, and trust me, when I walked out of the door at the comic store, because you're like, life, you're taking pictures of comics. That's not not cool. Look, I I paid for two hundred and twenty four dollars worth of merchandise. I took pictures of four different comics that I would never be buying because I wanted the example of what was going on. And some of these are in mainstream, very, very, very uh, mainstream titles from both Marvel and DC. I will not identify titles. I will not identify artists. They were very uh, open line art, gesture driven. Uh, I, I would say very angular in some spots. And the colorist really uh, did some great job rendering the figures and the atmosphere. But there was an absent, absolute uh, absence of any rendering whatsoever. And whether it's being done digitally or on the paper, people have just decided to to, to um, let it go. Now, 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 I work with some of these amazing colors who are who are capable of doing just tremendous painted work, but sometimes they smother and cause my line art, my cross hatching, to disappear. They put it on a knockout channel, so it's a it's it becomes a color and not a, and not inks. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to get that inks back there. You got to you got to pump that up. I need to see those lines. We can't knock that out. Even though you are this incredible uh, painter, uh, have these incredible painterly instincts and capabilities, and trust me, that's every great colorist that I myself have worked for, worked with in the last five, six years, and that is, and I work with some of the very, very best. But I have to tell them, look, let the lines shine, let the lines shine. Don't diminish them in favor of color. So I'm fighting for my lines to be out there, and I, I mean, I'm putting rendering on the page. But one thing I've noticed, I'm not saying this is, this is a result of anything, but, but some of the gripes about the art, not sales. I can't attribute this to sales. Maybe, possibly, but, but can't absolutely put a pin in that. But one thing I've noticed is the stuff looks faster, rushed, and more gesture-based, and, and less of the eye candy. And again, we love when a big running back breaks through. And I remember when, you know, Eric Dickerson had to sit on Monday night football to see if the Baltimore Ravens guy was going to break his record. Okay. And, 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 and that's how exciting it used to be, you know, 
to watch the running game and and and, and just pounding those lines and and earning those those extra yards and and uh, that is a lost art in the in the football sport going into these last couple seasons and I believe rendering is is the running back of comic books currently in 2023. Now here's what we're going to wrap on in in the in the in the big scheme of things. And then I'm going to get to you what I'm, what's going on at, at comic book retail from what I can see and what I've been told. But I am going to um, g- give you a little uh, primer uh, and, 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 and let's look at the best-selling comics of the 21st century. Let's, let's just go the best-selling comics of the 21st century since I, I pushed us all the way back to the numbers of 2000 going into 2001, uh, kind of the, uh, the fallout that was occurring in the year 2000 with the stores closing with the accounts diminishing, distributors were, were, were long destroyed. Marvel was now at this time negotiating to come back to Diamond because their distribution experiment by buying Heroes World was too much. They were better off letting someone else distribute their books. Um, so, so the year 2000 is really a consolidation, but we have visited those, those numbers that were super scary. The bottoming of the numbers was January 2001. But let's look at uh, since since 2000, the last basically the 21st century. This is going to stagger you. Now it is predominantly uh, as as always Marvel and DC, but uh, Diamond Comics again, Diamond Comic distribu- Distributor, Diamond Comics Distributors is 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 responsible for these numbers that I'm going to share with you now. Sometimes there were additional titles, uh, especially in the 2010s, 2020, about 2013-2014, a mail-order company, we all got stuff from them, Loot Crate, came into the scene, and they were buying hundreds of thousands of copies of certain print runs to put them in their boxes. The same, as I told you in, the, in, in a recent episode, that Anco, which was buying comics and selling them through Walmart, was doing. So this is a practice that is not new. There's always kind of an Anco or a, or a Loot Crate. And there is a caveat that Loot Crate was buying a significant amount of books, but but in regards to the number one book on this list, uh, even if you take the 200, 300,000 sales that Loot Crate took of Star Wars number one, you still got a uh, you you still have a, a a book that is several hundred thousands of sales above uh, the, the the closest competitor. Star Wars number one had over a hundred covers let's let that there's got to be that caveat as well it sits at the top but it had over 100 different variant covers not only offered just through the direct market but marvel went big and let retailers i had i had three friends by uh by variant covers on star wars three different people that i know personally who don't have brick and mortar stores but they bought covers and they sold them to other brick and mortar stores and other different accounts the the uh Excitement about Star Wars being returned back to Marvel, where where, where Marvel, where, where the Star Wars comic book was actually born in the in 1977 with Marvel Comics, and you guys, so many great podcasts on that subject, starting from season one, whether it was licensing, uh, the the licensing episodes or the dedicated Star Wars episodes, where I walk you through Stanley's hesitancy. Uh, was Marvel really the number one option to do this book in the first place? So much great story, so much great data to share. I have done it for you. I have done the work. I am reading historical figures and encounters and from Stanley's words himself in these back issues, these back episodes of Observation. So make sure and check those out. 
Star Wars returning to Marvel was a super big deal. The excitement was at an all-time high. Uh, and and, and they, they were able to generate 100 variant covers. Star Wars, the return, the n- number one uh, Marvel relaunch in 2015, sold 1,073,000 copies. 1,073,000 copies. That is eight years ago that that was achieved. Eight years ago. With, look, 100 covers, okay? I actually thought it was going to break X-Men, X-Force numbers. But still, this is this is. I mean, with a hundred covers, you, you you just figured. But let's take three hundred thousand off that. Let's let's take let's say that Loot Crate took between two hundred fifty and three hundred thousand. I mean, you are still looking at a number that is two hundred thousand plus greater than the next Detective Comics number one thousand released in twenty nineteen, four summers ago, sold five hundred seventy five thousand copies. That is your number two best selling comic of the last twenty years. I'm sorry, of the, of the 21st century, not the last 20 years, of the 21st century. You got Detective Comics coming in at 575,000 copies. Even if Star Wars is in the 750 range, 750, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's 200,000 more. But, but, but with, with the addition of, of the Loot Crate model, 1,073,000 as, as reported through Diamond, 574, I'm sorry, 575,000 for Detective Comics, 1,000. Spider-Man number one released April of 2014. 560,000 copies by Marvel Comics. So that is nine years ago. Let's keep going. The new Secret Wars book. They did a brand new version of Secret Wars. It was written by Jonathan Hickman. Uh, It was released in May, spring of 2015. It sold 550,000 copies. That was a four ninety nine four ninety nine book. That Spider Man book was five ninety nine. Here's the the baller status of that Detective Comics book. That Detective Comics one thousand that sold five hundred seventy five thousand is a ten dollar comic book. That was a ten dollar comic. Star Wars was five dollars. Let's keep going. Action Comics number one thousand. Action Comics one thousand released five years ago, April of twenty eighteen, sold five hundred and four thousand copies. Now it has here, IDW did an Orphan Black comic. I was not aware of this. Um, It sold 500,000 copies. Orphan Black, number one, released in February of 2015. That must have been a pop the bubbly day over at the offices of IDW. 500,000 copies. Orphan Black was definitely a buzzy, buzzy show during that time. So again, I did not even know they did a comic book adaptation, but there it is. Dark Knight Master Race, the, the trilogy. The, the, the third uh, part of Frank Miller's Dark Knight Saga, which was released in November of 2015, sold 449,000 copies. It's number nine on the list. It's number nine on this list. Uh, and that is, uh, again, eight years ago. 449,000 copies. That book was $6. Amazing Spider-Man number 800 was released five years ago, 2018, May of 2018. It was a $10 comic book. Sold 440,000. Okay. Uh, Star Wars Vader Down. Released in 2015. Sold 410,000 copies. The Im- Image Comics best show here is uh, 2012. Walking Dead. Issue 100. 385,000 copies. 385,000 copies. That is Image Comics' biggest seller of the 21st century per these diamond uh, distributor numbers. So, uh, 
Civil War number two. Uh, Civil War number two was released and it sold 392,000 copies. So it's right above Walking Dead 100, which came in at number 15. You're hearing 2019, you're hearing 2018. Yeah, Walking Dead is 2012, but you're hearing a lot of books uh, in recent times, okay, uh, that did these huge numbers. And and so that is, I just gave you a representation of the top 20. Now, Image Image Comics launches, lands there with Walking Dead at 15. So you get some representation outside of the big two. But, but let's not kid ourselves. Those All of those numbers are huge numbers in any decade, 90s, 80s, 2000s. So let's pump the hate breaks on, on, on this. This is the worst time ever. We've already shown you through the course of this episode that the worst time ever was January of 2001 where top-selling franchises couldn't, X-Men was not selling 100,000 units. And that's when, and I've shared before, based on that convention in 2000, I came home to my wife, Joy, knowing, you know, we're, we're, we're in the baby business now and we're going to be raising a family. I said, I am going to take an extended leave. I am not going to do anything regular. I'm going to let this Wolverine stuff play out and that'll be it for me. And I thought, this is great because maybe, maybe I'm never coming back to comics. And, uh, and, and that's where my head was at. And I've told you a lot of your big nineties names that drove the decade. I mean, I've, I've mentioned to you before, Todd McFarlane has not drawn an interior comic for you in 21 years. And the last interior story that he penciled and inked generated his own layouts from was, uh, the image comics 10 year anniversary comic. Mark Silvestri stopped drawing comics for several years. J. Scott Campbell stopped for several years. Uh, Joe Madiera stopped for several years. Myself stopped for several years. Jim Lee did not draw a comic for four years. Uh, he, he, he sold to DC Comics and then did not return to regular comics until Batman Hush. He took an extended period of time, at least three years he took off. S- so many of the talents that were pushing, and this is Mark's comment about the worst ever, and I understand a lot of what he's saying. Reminds me, when I was doing Captain America and Avengers Heroes Reborn, I, f- I was feeling big. And I'm not saying Mark was feeling big. I think Mark is legitimately concerned. I'm telling you where my head was at. I was so overwhelmed by my, my, by my commitment. And then simultaneously, by the time I put this out there, and I put this out there in an open letter to the industry, and the comic book buyer's guide printed it. Because Captain America was like, number one, Heroes Reborn was like 56 pages. I went way over. <laughs> It's supposed to be 48 pages. So I went eight, eight pages over. Marvel said, that's fine. We're cool. But I was also doing 20 pages in Avengers number one that month. So I was doing almost 80 pages with covers. I mean, literally, like right at 80 pages for that month. I had Profit Cable that I was doing. And then I was doing, you know, month. I did every page of Captain America 1 through 6. And I came back and did more pages in Avengers 4. And I said, I'm committing to doing, you know, 200 pages in the next year, and I said I would ask, this is in 1996, that my fellow artists, it's exactly what Mark's saying now, would contribute. And I was like, and, and, and one person in particular, uh, a, a big name, not from Image, so, so to not one of my former partners and in, in, in my fellow founder, founders, not one of them, but one of them was, was telling everybody, he was openly snickering, and this guy was was not contributing to comics at all. Had kind of uh, probably done the best-selling work of his career at that point, 
and, and was like, oh, look at Liefeld trying to call us to draw comics because I felt like we were all, we all were slowing down. 96 was my last great output from 96 to 97. And I, you know, you look around, you know, the bands that, that get the headliners even now and, 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 and the big, you know, teams that get scheduled to play in the primetime hours, you know who you are. And I was trying to, because I love the industry so much, so I understand where Mark's coming from. And I was feeling big because I'm already committed to all this stuff. I'm already doing it. And I've already got like, by the time I make this announcement, I've got 100 pages under my belt. So sure, I can call for everybody else to match me. Do 200. I'm going to do another 100, you know. And uh, those call to arms are, come from a place of love and concern and passion. And, and, and I've done it and now Mark is doing it because we don't want it to get any worse. But as far as retailers, they are having a hard time. Some of the stuff that's coming out is uh, not as satisfying as it could be. Marvel does not completely replace the X-Men editorial team without its eye on going towards something bigger and better. And Tom Brevoort, who is going to become the new X-Men editor, went out of his way to share with us that, that this was such an intimidating uh, notion that the absolute toppity top, yes, I said toppity top of Marvel, uh, Dan Buckley met with him to say, look, this is what we want you to do. We want you to shift your focus from the Avengers lines, line of books, which you've been doing for the last 25, 26 years, and put all of that same innovation that you have brought to the Avengers line and put that into the X-Men line. Because the X-Men, we need that to be out there in the top you know, franchise again. Again, what did I use my pace horse? It was Marvel's number one book. It was selling 98,000 copies in 2000. Things have been much worse than they are right now. In the 2000s, okay? So so Marvel is looking to make big, big moves. Marvel, Marvel sales reps were telling people at San Diego, look, we've got some, some, some great things that we think are going to excite you. And let me tell you some smart things that they're doing. Uh, my, my, all of my retailers that I talk to, about three or four that I talk to regularly, I order through them. I go to their stores, their accounts that, 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 that grab stuff from me. They've told me, like going into San Diego week, oh my gosh, Rob, the Chrome the foil chromes of Hulk 181, the first appearance of Wolverine, they went back. I didn't even know this was happening. But like, we are selling gobs and gobs and gobs of this. Yes, a comic book from 1975 with probably its third or fourth reprint in the last 15 years. That Hulk 181 is in demand. Marvel did a foil chrome version of it and it blew out. Right now, your retailers are doing the same thing with Amazing Spider-Man 300. They are going back in time and taking beloved favorites and they are putting them in formats that people like and they're excited by. It. And my retailers are excited and they're like, Rob, we have sold out of these and I'm waiting to get my hands on more. And the demand for them is through the roof. So Marvel is giving you the best of both worlds. They're trying to position uh, their upcoming slate in the best way possible. And at the same time, bringing you new versions of books that are clearly, they're flying off the shelves for every retailer I knew. I know Hulk, the Hulk 181 Chrome foil and the Amazing Spider-Man 300 are, are but a few. I know now DC is doing the same. And, and, and here's, the, here's the funny thing, because sometimes, sometimes the answers do lie in the past. And, and I remember in 2019, and I wanted to make sure I got it, because I mean, if, if there's just, again, sometimes incompetence just kind of rears its, its head and, 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 just, and just opens its mouth and, 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 and lets you know exactly who they are, where they are, and, and, and why they are. In 2019, no less than DC's Dan DiDio at San Diego Comic-Con was very vocal uh, 
about the fact that he doesn't like these reprints. He doesn't like these reprints. And it was because Marvel had been doing this incredible, uh, incredible job with their facsimiles and going back to press with, I mean, I was buying all of them. The early Conan books, the key appearances of Wolverine, of Deadpool, of Venom, of, of Phoenix. Uh, they were just turning the presses back on and some of these books were outselling everything from, from the new category. Uh, at, a, at a publisher's panel at San Diego, uh, the publisher of DC Comics <clears throat> made a statement that said, we do these facsimile editions where we're reprinting older issues of comics, including the old ads and stuff. And in some cases, they're selling more than the new comics that we're doing with these characters. And, and people are more interested in buying stories from 30 or 40 years ago than contemporary stories. And that's a failure from us. And, and we need to be focused on moving things forward, pushing the boundaries, finding new stories to tell. That's how we will survive. That's how we will grow. The article is uh, framed with, the, 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 the headline is, Dan deal on the double-edged success of reprinting old comics. Well, guess what? My retailer is thrilled. They don't think there's anything double-edged. They're so excited that they have these comic books that people are regularly looking to hunt down. If you don't think you're going to get a New Mutants 98 and probably an 87 chrome foil, of course you are. It's just going to be closer to Deadpool 3. Uh, I, I, know, I have no inside knowledge whatsoever, but you can kind of track like where, where would be the best window for that to happen. These books are ridiculously, ridiculously successful for Marvel. They are at a price point that is super advantageous for both Marvel and the retailer. And no one is seeing them as double-edged. And, and, and no one is casting aspersions. And, and what it said in that article was DiDio asked to poll people, how many of you people are buying these? Ask, why don't you just ask retailers if they're, if they're happy to be selling comics, making money, and seeing the registers ring? If, if it was made, and you made it, and people want more of it, then take a bow, okay? That there's, there should be no double-edged uh, aspect to this. It's just, wow, this is great that we can do this. And if cer- certainly from the publisher's you know, point of view, they're like, this work that we have owned that was paid for in 1975, we get to put out and print it on nicer paper, and now we're giving you chrome, we're giving you foil, and they are blowing up, and they are blowing out. Stores are, are, are selling more of these than ever, and so that has been going on for the last five years, 2018, 2019, 2020, 21, 22, 23, and it's going to continue into 24. And giving retailers what they can sell is the primary, not worrying about whether or not what you're doing currently is better than that classic. It's a classic for a reason. It's a classic for a reason, Dan. Okay. So retailers are showing up. This is where I'm going to wrap up the show with where we're we're at right now. For years, there is Frankincense here. It's now in the city of industry. It was in Pomona. Killer, killer, killer. I've talked about it. Um, uh, on the on the show multiple times, it is a giant comic book collectible marketplace. My my kids are addicted to it. My two sons uh, make make runs to Frankincense all the time for cards, mainly for for trading cards, sports cards. I am there for the comics and the toys. Tons of toy dealers, back issues, fresh comic book dealers, uh, all sports memorabilia, uh, just. Just an incredible marketplace. If you can make your way out to Frank and Sons in City of Industry, look it up, Google it. Uh, they are open three days a week. And over the holidays, it's like they're open for 10 days straight. So so that December window is great. But right now, currently, it's Wednesday, it's Friday. It's, it's uh, I'm sorry, it's Wednesday, it's Saturday, and it's Sunday. Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
And uh, what used to happen, especially pre-pandemic and hardcore in the 2010s, other retailers from surrounding stores would show up and you'd, you'd see them. I'd be there shopping sometimes when the manager or a head clerk at, at one of the local stores would come up to one of the vendors that I was talking to and say, hey, do you have any copies of this? Or do you have any spare copies that I can buy for this? I need them for the store tomorrow. We didn't order enough. We sold out. That's happening again. That is happening again on the floors of Frankincense. People are showing up and they are asking some of the vendors there uh, if, if they can spare some of their inventory because the orders they've been they've been ordering to the bone in an effort to survive 100%. They've been ordering to the bone in order to, you know, steady the ship and be conservative. But now uh you know, demand and supply is switched. That the supply is too low for the demand. So they are looking and and what that means is nobody wants to get in their car and go up and down the aisles and ask for extra books from fellow retailers. So what they're going to do is they're going to start ordering a few more copies. And a few more copies, because that's how it goes. You know, that they, they would rather not get in their car and make that 20 minute, 15 minute, even a five minute drive, park, go inside and ask fellow retailers if they've, they've got extra copies. But that's what my retail connections inside Frankenstein's, and it's more than just one, several guys are saying, wow, we, we are seeing this for the first time in the last few weeks. I'm a comic book guy. I believe in comic books. I love comic books. I'm here talking about comic books all the time. You want to go talk about. You want to get somebody to break down the latest trailer? I'm never going to be that guy. I am not going to break down the latest episode of a Star Wars show unless something completely incredible happened. Um, we, we talk comics, comic book characters, the impact of comic book characters and comic books and storylines across all platforms. And today we served up a menu of the year 2000, of January 2001, where it really was the worst of times. Okay, now I'm all, I want to channel the band Sticks. And instead of singing the best of times, I, I won't I won't do that to your eardrums, but 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 instead of people trying to to I, I hear sticks in my head, the band sticks of, of come of, of come fly away. Oh, what a band. And babe and so many great uh, so many great songs, but you know, it's not the worst of times. Okay. We 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 we're not at the worst of times, nowhere near it, not yet. And when we are, hey, I'll come on this podcast and I'll sound the alarm. And I hope that you share it with everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, brighter days are ahead. Comic books are figuring it out in this age where so much competition exists. But uh, support your local comic store and comic book retailers. Treat your, treat your people good. Treat, treat your customers well. Um, I've already stopped going to some stores this last year. Because again, it, some of that bad... Uh, Retail energy is still out there. Don't let that make it to your consumer, to, 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 to your customer. You know, talk up their purchases, talk up their interests, you know, uh, help them out, staff your stores well. And retailers, we're pulling for you. We, I've done multiple episodes about to support, to support your retailer. Don't just buy your books from Amazon. Don't just go, you know, uh, through, 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 through mail order. As I've said multiple times, if you truly you know, love your comic book store. It's a clubhouse. That clubhouse won't be there unless you frequent it and you buy the comics. And there is so much. Again, hey, maybe all you're going to do is buy these new foil chromes of key uh, key comics from both Marvel and DC. And I'm certain Image and IDW, uh, the Turtles have a big anniversary coming. I'm sure they're going to do something like that as well. Go to your comic store, support them. I am in the comic store business. Love my comic store. 
Love my local retailer. We're going to do better. We are not in the worst of times. I gave you an episode worth of numbers just to get in there and examine. Think about those numbers, the last, the best sellers of the 21st century. I mean, multiple sales of comic books over half a million. Okay. We are not in 2000 and 2001 by any any stretch of the imagination. Hey, thank you, as always, for listening to Rob Observations. Thank you for sharing your love for the show. Thank you for making us the number one uh, comic book podcast. And and, and I, I mean, I cannot even begin to thank you enough for all the support that you have continued to show our our little Observations show. I, I, I am always blown away by the enthusiasm and by uh, the 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 uh, <clears throat> the the sheer energy and and the passion that you guys are sharing word of mouth the way you guys reach out and and contact me and listen I'm going to tell you right now uh so many of you have been so generous and and you leave these incredible reviews and today's review I read them at the end of each and every show and today's review uh, so so many of you put them on Apple you take out your keyboard you type whether it's on your phone or on your lap your your laptop you you, you give us a positive review it helps it helps us stand out it helps us um get that profile and stay in that in that position and i appreciate you so very much today's review that i'm going to read that was left by Corey kestrel okay this is this is straight out of hawk and dub kestrel um he gives us five stars thank you Corey kestrel dear rob thank you for all the work that you do on this podcast as someone who started reading comics in the 1970s and has never stopped your insights into the history of the comic books your personal knowledge of the creators and your passion has helped me revisit many of my childhood memories i remember discovering your own work on hawk and dove in the 80s and blown away by the energy in your art thank you for continuing to work on your craft on projects like deadpool batter blood i read everything that you do long live reese's big cups Long live Rob Observations. Thank you, Corey Kestrel. You are so appreciated by this show. Thank you for putting down um, your passion for the show. I am so glad that this crazy mix that I am able to bring together and, 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 and put, put, put into this blue Yeti microphone that my son bought me when I said, hey, I think I want to do a podcast. And he said, dad, I can go, I can go get you all the equipment. I'm so glad that it's resonating. And thank you so much. I read your reviews whenever you all post them. I read them at the end of each and every show and I and, and my appreciation continues to grow as this show continues to go. Oh man, I went super, super long today. So I am just going to tell you where to find me on social media uh, so that we can connect on all those different social media platforms. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E. F-E-L-D, Robert Liefeld is my handle over on Twitter. I got the little uh, pesky blue check. Sometimes it comes, sometimes it goes, but uh, I should have it and it should tell you that I am the only Rob Liefeld you should be talking to. At Robert Liefeld, I love reading your replies, your mentions, your interactions. Thank you so much for interacting with me as often as you do on Twitter. It's a blast talking to you and talking you up and uh, and sharing stuff I love and and so look for me on Twitter at Robert Liefeld on Instagram, my picture diary, my picture share of what I'm eating, where I'm traveling, who I'm with, my family, my art, my stuff. I am at Rob Liefeld. Another blue check tells you that that is uh, legit. That is uh, certifiably the crazy Rob, the real Rob. And you want to interact with that Rob on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. I read your replies, your mentions, your DMs. Thank you so much for interacting with me. Your comments. Uh, thanks for going along 
that, that both, both these journeys, the Twitter at Robert Liefeld and the Instagram at Rob Liefeld journey with me. I mentioned it earlier in this podcast, the Rob Liefeld group on Facebook is called, on Facebook, <laughs> Facebook, Facebook is called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Uh, check us out. We have great discussions, much more long form. Many of the topics and the things that we discuss here, we continue to discuss discuss over on that forum, either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. We'll click you on through. We're the two administrators, so you'll know you're in the right place. When you see either of our names, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is the Facebook group. Look for us over there on Facebook. Jump jump in. Uh, check us out. We are excited to see you and, and have you uh, join in all the fun. We have art. Uh, it, people share their art. There's art contests that are run regularly by Terry. So uh, look, looking forward to seeing you. If you're not already there, drop on by and we'll get you through. Through, through the gates, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and beyond. I got Deadpool. Deadpool Batter Blood number three, like I said at the top of this show, coming out August 30th, issue four, September 20th. We're going to get those. Those two are going to um, come out with great frequency and no, no, no creator likes, likes it more than getting their work in front of you more. I am so excited for you to take this journey and, uh, and have a good time uh, expanding what we started, what we kicked off with issues one and two, and then issue five is out in October. So, uh, oh, and then we're going to get a trade and a hardcover. Oh, it'll be great. Can't wait to get these books in front of you. Thank you for the support, not only of the podcast, but of the comics work over these last many years and decades. I appreciate it so much. You and your mental health, your physical being, your spiritual well-being, emotional well-being, it means the world to me. I am rooting for you. I am hoping that you are going to do uh, the very best. You are doing well. I, I wish you all the very best uh, and, and good fortune and and uh, and and just good vibes all around you. Yes, I'm going to mention the Reese's Peanut Butter Big Cup because it's just a thing. That gives me it. That, that, that improves, ironically, my emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical well-being in ways that I could not possibly even begin to express here. Look, I want you to do well. I hope you're doing well. Find fun with your family, uh, with, with arts, with, uh, with, with music, with food. Just get out, take a break, get off the grind, enjoy yourself. Thank you again for taking this journey with me. Please, please come on back. I will be waiting here for you. We absolutely, most certainly, and you know it, inevitably, we'll talk again real soon. So you are hearing this at the end of my sign-off because I had to rush back and correct a, a very important factoid that I shared with you. The, the worst sales in the comics industry were not in 2001, in January of 2001. Uh, a, a, a further deep dive into the numbers reveals that it is February of 2011. February of 2011, the number one comic book in the industry published by DC Comics, no less, an issue of Green Lantern. February 2011 topped the charts at 71,517 sales. In, 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 the, the number one selling book for 2010 was 130,000. The number one selling book in 2012 was 135,000. But we bottomed out prior to uh, the DC 52. February of 2011 gives you the top book in the industry 
71,000. That is much less than the 98,000 sales of the X-Men uh, book in, 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 uh, in January of, of 2001. So, hey, wanted you to know, you know, if, you, if you're going to listen to this and you're going to get the facts, then it, then it pays to listen all, all, all the way to the end. And here we are right before uh, the, 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 right after the end tag. So, 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 so I'm, I'm coming on to give you bonus content that as far as bad sales are concerned, I mean, good God almighty, when we say, oh, it's the worst ever, we now have a new winner and champion discovered within the same show. I mean, 2001 was bad. It was absolutely bad. It is, it is a, uh, it is literally, as I'm looking at this again, yeah, ooh, really, really bad, but, but the winner and still champion. And it just grew from there. 2013, the number one book of the year was 307,000 copies. 2015, obviously the 497, uh, which had the loot crate. I, I, that, that, that's one thing. The IDW, that orphan black again, as I, as I mentioned, loot crate earlier, attributing uh, some some bonus sales to Star Wars. Also later on, Rocket Raccoon loot crate was get, getting in the business of doing these specialty comic books. So it was a great business to be in. Like I said, no different than the Anco 1992 grabbing all those. Uh, Image Comics number one. So, hey, I am so glad I was able to grab this tag at the end of the show and share with you that there was a deeper, deeper well as far as low sales. And we are nowhere near what's going on right now. So, so 71,000 copies. February 2011 was the lowest top selling charting book on record in the last 20 years, in the 21st century. The lowest selling point for comic books. We bottomed out at, in 2011 at 71,517 copies of Green Lantern number 62. And there you go. Hey, thanks for listening all the way through. I'll make sure and promote this. You got to listen to the very end because here it was. Thanks for hanging on. Let me say once again, please come back. Please hear me. Please listen to me. I'll be here waiting. Most certainly, absolutely. Let's do this again all the time. We will talk again real soon. Thank you.